If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Egg Today. Coming up on today's program, grasshoppers caused the most crop damage this year, but other insects were problems for growers as well. James Tansey is the Saskatchewan Insect Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. He provided his 2023 report yesterday at the Agronomy Research Update in Saskatoon. As well, a contentious bill that's drawn national attention was mentioned again in the Senate. Senator Donald Plett spoke on Bill C-234, a bill that would give an exemption for natural gas and propane used for grain drying and heating and cooling of barns and other farm buildings. It passed third reading in the Senate last night, but was referred back to the House of Commons. How to make the agriculture industry more productive was the theme of a report released by Farm Credit Canada. We will hear from Christian Rangwasami of the uh, Principal Economist with Farm Credit Canada. He will tell us what that agricultural productivity means for this province. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, it's mainly sunny here in the Yorkton area today. And our temperatures have already broken that zero mark. Yeah, that's not bad for the morning hours on uh, December 13th, right? A normal high this time of year at minus 11. And uh, we've long since passed that. In fact, looking back through the uh, overnight, the closest we got was uh, right around midnight when we were at uh, minus... Uh, we'll call it minus 10, but just a hair above that by the rounding. And we've just been steadily rising since then, a little wobble around sunrise. But overall, it's been a steady rise. And uh, through the day, we'll continue to rise very slowly. We're not going to keep soaring. We've only got five degrees. I mean, that itself is impressive enough. But the wind is up, too. And it's that stiff southerly wind that's actually uh, helped out the, the jump over the last couple of hours. We've seen more of a uh, a more rapid increase in that temperature because of that increase in the wind. So that's the trade-off. Is a, it's a gusty wind south to southwest, 20 to 35 gusts, 45 to 50, still possible through the afternoon. But very little cloud cover uh, for, the, for the day, for tonight, and even for tomorrow. Minus 2 is our low tonight, 4 degrees the high tomorrow. At minus 2, that's not really enough to cause a significant refreeze of the melting, which is good news. Uh, we do spend a few hours below freezing. There will certainly be some uh, patchy, slick spots, but it's not going to be as big of a concern. A little more so tomorrow night at minus 5, and then uh, back to 1 on Friday. So we spend more of Friday uh, at or below freezing, 
which I guess on the flip side of that means we have less time to do melting through the day. But the wind settles down. It's strong today. It's a little lighter tomorrow, and it's much lighter Thursday night and Friday, becoming nearly calm. The weather pattern is a very quiet one. There are things that are trying to move around. There's a cool air mass to our north. That's, that's locked up there. That is not coming down uh, anytime soon. There's warm air to our, well, today it's, it's overhead. It's shifting to our east. It's going to uh, pivot southward a bit. Then a new one is going to build to our west and expand northeastward. We'll see that happen on Saturday. One more little push of this warm air gets us back up to around four under a sunny sky. We'll see the warm air retreat, but I don't think we've seen the last of it. There looks to be another ridge that's going to try to build up toward the middle part of next week, which will get us back above freezing for at least a day. More often than not, next week we're below freezing, but above normal. In fact, significantly above normal. Anywhere from 5 to 8 degrees above normal. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 1 degree. Swan River plus 2 Dauphin, plus 4. Brandon, minus 3. Show Lake Russell, minus 5. Roblin, minus 2. Regina is at plus 2. Saskatoon, Broadview, Mooseman, plus 1. Hudson Bay, minus 1. Indian Head, 0. Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, plus 4. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky. A south-southwest wind at 26, gusting to 39 kilometers an hour. 64% is the relative humidity. The temperature is plus 3 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 3 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 13 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 11 degrees. The normal low is minus 21 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.46 this morning, and it will set at 4.42 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Melitta at minus 4 degrees. The cold spot was Thompson at minus 28 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Maple Creek at plus 5 degrees. The cold spot was Stony Rapids at minus 31 degrees. Welcome back to Saskag Today. Grasshoppers caused the most crop damage this year, but other insects were problems for growers as well. James Tansey is the Provincial Insect Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. He gave his 2023 report yesterday at the Agronomy Research Update in Saskatoon. He started off with cutworms. We had some significant damage uh, from clover cutworm in canola, uh, primarily in, in uh, uh, the northeast and some near Outlook. Most of the cutworm issues were, were associated with subterranean cutworms. So primarily redback cutworm, also pale um, um, western. Uh, these ones really like it dry. And uh, they like weedy fields in the fall, so they lay, you know, they're, they're generalists. They'll lay their eggs on a variety of different host plants in the fall, overwinter as eggs, and these, these animals are going to emerge in spring to cause damage. Flea beetles were not a big problem in most areas this year. We still had some, some economic populations in the northeast, 
primarily with Philatreta striolata or the striped flea beetle, and we had some populations in the moose jaw area from cruciferae. There are some differences in their responses to specific insecticides, with striped flea beetle being less susceptible to certain insecticides. It seems that the new product, Buteo Start, is very efficacious for both species. There was some talk about reductions in flea beetle pressures regionally being associated with use of this product. I'm skeptical. Uh, I don't think it was used broadly enough to have an impact on, on flea beetle populations over the entire province. Dry conditions, I think that's really what's going on here. The Bertha armyworm was not an issue for canola this year, even though Tansy says Saskatchewan is due for an outbreak. Now moving on to your basic armyworm in wheat and Durham. Uh, we had uh, numerous reports of true armyworm uh, munching on cereals. So this is an animal that actually actively flies in from southern latitudes. Uh, it is migratory. Uh, so we had significant damage to wheat and Durham. And we had uh, one site that I visited near Saskatoon that looked like uh, a bit of a UFO landing pad. So there were these you know, circular areas that had been really heavily feasted upon. The diamondback moth was prevalent in the southwest in 2023 but not so much in other areas. This is traditionally one of the major pests of canola. Happily, the last few years, it's been pretty cool for diamondback moth, and it remains so uh, this past year. Uh, happily, this year, we did not see what looked like Group 3 insecticide resistance. We did see that a couple of years ago in a couple of spots. Uh, the state of North Dakota's Extension Service uh, issued a notice in 2021 to not spray with uh, diamondback moth with group three insecticides because of widespread resistance. We did not see that this past year. So all of these populations are coming from Texas or from Florida or from Northern Mexico, but those that are grown in the American Southeast are associated with veggie production. And they're getting hit every two weeks with insecticide. They're very numerous. Veggies take a lot of insecticide to get those through, you know, in, in a state where people will buy them in a supermarket. Happily, our numbers have been low. We need connectivity between that part of the world and this part of the world with those high altitude winds, and we need large populations taking flight. When those occur, this can be a major pest. Uh, they were localized in the southwest. These animals are not going to overwinter here, so it's not like we're going to look at additional pressure next year associated with these ones. Tansy says aster leafhopper populations were higher than normal, and there were multiple reports of cereal leaf beetle in the northeast and southeast. Tansy then took questions after his presentation, and one was about the higher number of crickets this year. There was a lot of reports in a lot of different crops, a lot of canola pods being munched by crickets. Are they seeking them out for lack of other options? Maybe. There seems to be a lot of variability year to year uh, as far as a cricket populations and, and what they seem to be going after. But um, it seems the more crickets they are, and, and I can't help but think that there's a correlation with the grasshopper populations. They do feed on, on grasshopper eggs. And so that could be a driver for increased cricket populations. If they eat themselves out of house and home, they could be doing crop damage. That's strictly speculation on my part though. And there was also a question about a large reduction in grasshopper populations as harvest approached. Uh, one thing that I saw this year too were mass cannibalization events. I saw it in a couple of areas, a couple of low-lying spots with two-strike grasshoppers just eating the heck out of each other, you know, ganging up on each other four to five to one. And uh, I hadn't seen that before, but I think with those temperatures that we experienced this year, they only live so long and uh, they're going to burn out. James Tansey is the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture Insect Specialist. 
He gave his 2023 report yesterday at the Agronomy Research Update in Saskatoon. It's time now for the AgReview portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, AgReview. A bill to exempt fuel for grain drying from the price on carbon has cleared the Senate and returns to the House of Commons with two amendments. Last night, Senators read Bill C-234, an act to amend the Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act for the third time, and passed it. The bill received two amendments in the Senate. On Monday, Senators voted to reduce the bill's sunset clause to three years from eight. Previously, Senators amended the bill to remove barn and greenhouse heating from proposed carbon price exemptions in the bill. Farm groups and government officials aligned with the bill have expressed concerns that since the bill must now be returned to the House of Commons for further debate, it will be delayed until it dies on the order paper. According to its online schedule, the House of Commons will rise for the year on Friday. Prices for green and yellow peas across western Canada have likely hit their peak, according to Darwin Hamilton of Calche Commodities Incorporated. Hamilton attributes the rise in prices to the reduced production of green peas plus a sudden demand for yellow peas from India and China to a lesser extent. As for the yellow peas, Hamilton states India in particular has essentially been non-existent as a buyer during the last four years. Then all of a sudden India announces they might have less pulses available. With that turnaround from India, Hamilton says if Canada produced an average yellow pea crop this year, that would have slowed the spike in their prices. He says all of this buying will lead to tighter ending stocks for both peas than what had been expected. Hamilton suggests farmers take advantage of the good prices for yellow peas by December 31st. The growing price of farm equipment is not dissuading farmers from buying new machinery. That's according to the latest data from the Association of Equipment Managers. Unit sales of four-wheel drive tractors grew in both Canada and the U.S. in November, continuing a strong final quarter for 2023. In Canada, four-wheel drive unit sales grew 84.8% year-over-year in November and 41.5% year-to-date over 2023. U.S. sales of four-wheel drive tractors in November were even more dramatic, with a 72.6% increase year-over-year and a 38.2% year-to-date gain. These figures are unusual for this time of year because November is historically a slow month for tractor and combine sales. Patterson Grain has bought out Parrish and Heimbecker's share in Alliance Seed Corporation, Winnipeg-based Alliance Seed began in 2009 as a joint venture between Patterson Grain, Parrish and Heimbecker, Weyburn Inland Terminal, Northwest Terminal of Unity, Saskatchewan, Prairie West Terminal of Plenty, Saskatchewan, and Great Sandhills Terminal at Leader, Saskatchewan. With the recent sale, Northwest Terminal and Patterson are the two remaining shareholders. P&H says the joint venture established in 2009 has proven to be mutually beneficial, creating synergies that have contributed to the success of all shareholders. PH adds it looks forward to continuing on as a channel partner with Alliance. 
Alliance operations will not change as a result of this transaction. Some important prairie grasslands are being protected in southwestern Alberta. The Nature Conservancy of Canada announced Tuesday that it's partnering with the Bechtel family to conserve the grasslands on their property near Police Outpost Provincial Park. It says the 323-hectare property is a significant step in conserving both the area's natural heritage and its ranching traditions. The Bechtel family has a cow-calf ranching operation and uses sustainable rotational grazing practices that date back to 1917. The conservation agreement ensures the property continues to operate as a working ranch while maintaining its ecological integrity. The Nature Conservancy of Canada says the project expands its efforts in the area, which now includes almost 2,900 hectares of conserved lands west of the St. Mary River near the Canada-United States border. And Saskag Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag Today. And yes, it is free. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly sunny and plus 3 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. A contentious bill that's drawn national attention was mentioned again in the Senate last night. Senator Donald Platt spoke on Bill C-234, a bill that would give an exemption for natural gas and propane used for grain drying and heating and cooling of barns and other farm buildings. Madam Speaker, colleagues, I rise today to speak to Bill C-234. This is, in fact, the second speech that I have prepared for third reading. The first one was prepared right after the Chamber rightly rejected the report of the Agricultural Committee. At that point, I thought for a moment that sanity and soundness of mind might triumph over tribalism and pettiness in this Chamber. I was genuinely encouraged to see that the majority of Senators were prepared to consider this bill on its merits rather than through the narrow lens of unwavering loyalty to the Prime Minister. I am disappointed that I was wrong. After being lobbied by both the Minister of the Environment and the Prime Minister himself, 40 Senators abandoned the facade of independence and returned to the Liberal fold. If you object to this observation, colleagues, I would draw your attention to the fact that as this bill arrived in this chamber, Bill C-234 was contentious for only one reason. The Liberal Party opposed it. Their opposition was not because the bill contradicted their policies. They had already provided multiple exemptions to the carbon tax. Their opposition was not because the bill would impact the fight against climate change, because it will have no impact on emissions. Their opposition was not because there was uncertainty about the science behind the decision, because the science is solid. Their opposition was strictly political. It was a political calculation in an attempt to shore up their dwindling support base by acting tough on climate change when they were really just getting tough on farmers. Senators previously voted for the amendment to the bill that removes the exemption for heating and cooling barns and greenhouses. 
And then last night they voted to reduce the sunset clause to three years from eight. It then passed third reading and the amended bill will now head back to the House of Commons for debate. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 167.40. That's down 120. April live cattle trading at 171.10, down 130. January feeder cattle trading at 217.47, down 177. March feeder cattle trading at 217.85, down 175. February lean hogs trading at 67.50, down 75. April lean hogs trading at 74.75, down 72. And that's the livestock market conditions. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. The East Central Research Foundation and Suncrest College in Yorkton have just released the results of another research project. It studied whether nitrogen rates and seeding rates should be adjusted when seeding canola late. Research coordinator Mike Hall says the research took place this year in Yorkton. I developed this project to determine how adjusting seeding rates and nitrogen rates might be advisable when seeding canola late. We're the only site for this project and I was thankful Adopt funded the project. When seeding late, there are at least two issues to consider, maturity and yield. Obviously, producers would like to hasten maturity because of the late start, so the crop is not frosted prematurely in fall. Roughly, we want plant populations to be between 50 to 120 plants per meter squared. However, when seeding late, it might be better to be at the high end of that recommendation, as this could hasten maturity by two to three days. As an aside, maintaining adequate soil P also hastens maturity. The other concern with late seeding is reduced yield. Crop insurance data clearly shows that canola yields decline by about 15% as seeding date is delayed from the first week of May to the first week of June. Beyond the first week of June, yields really start to take a nosedive. If yield potential has been reduced, it follows that the crop may require less nitrogen than originally anticipated. So this trial is looking at an early seeding date of May 18th and a later seeding date of June 8th. For each of these seeding dates, three nitrogen rates were evaluated at seeding rates of 2 and 4 pounds per acre which resulted in plant populations of approximately 40 versus 70 plants per meter squared for both seeding dates. So I'm pretty happy with that range. As it turned out, there were many fields this year of canola that were seeded late due to the late start in spring we had this year. So let's see if adjusting seeding rates and nitrogen rates for those fields would have been advisable. Here are the main effects of seeding date end fertility and seeding rate on canola. We looked at emergence, maturity, yield, grain moisture at harvest, and oil content of the grain. Again, the early seeded date was May 18 and the late seeded date was June 8. Levels of end fertility were 70, 140, and 180 pounds of soil plus applied fertilizer N. Finally, the seeding rates for canola were 2 and 4 pounds per acre. 
Emergence rates were very similar between the early and late seeding dates. So on average, seeding at two pounds per acre resulted in 39.8 plants per meter squared and four pounds produced 70.5 plants per meter squared. The emergence close to 40 plants per meter squared is considered adequate to maintain yield potential. And that was certainly the case in this study as the yields between seeding rates were nearly identical. Canola is referred to as a plastic plant and it has the ability to compensate for low plant populations by branching. In our study, increasing seeding rate hastened maturity for the late seeded canola. The high seeding rate reached 60% seed color change 1.3 days earlier and at harvest, grain moisture was about 0.5% less. You can see the grain moisture at harvest is quite high and this was done on purpose so I could use grain moisture as a relative indicator of crop maturity. I can harvest research plots early because it's pretty easy to dry small sacks of grain on an air table. While these results indicate that the high seeding rate for canola could have been harvested a few days earlier, it would have cost an extra $30 an acre in seed cost and have made little agronomic or operational differences during the 2023 season. Increasing seeding rate provided no yield benefit and everything would have been ready to harvest by early October. However, if the season had been extended by wet conditions, we might have seen more of an agronomic benefit from the higher seeding rate, particularly if there had been an early frost. As an aside, I'm not recommending seeding rates should be as low as two pounds per acre. We had excellent emergence conditions with no flea beetle pressure. So two pounds per acre was able to produce just enough plants to maintain yield potential. In this study, a significant interaction was detected, indicating that the yield response of canola to added nitrogen differed between the early and the late seeded canola. The yield response of canola to added nitrogen was much greater for the early seeded canola compared to the late seeded canola. This implies that the late seeded canola needed less nitrogen. But how much less? Well, this is where it gets tricky and you'll have to take this with a grain of salt because we're not looking at enough data to really pin down the shape of these curves. If I assume $17 per bushel of canola and $1.30 per pound of nitrogen, then technically no more added nitrogen to the above background level of 70 pounds of nitrogen per acre was required for the late seeded canola. The response from here was linear and each additional pound of nitrogen resulted in reduced economic returns. In contrast, the yield response for the early seeded canola is curvilinear and the most economic rate is 128 pounds of nitrogen per acre. This is the point at which $1 spent on nitrogen returned $1 worth of canola. This means the difference in the most economic rate of nitrogen between early and late seeded canola could have been at least 58 pounds of nitrogen per acre. Now, I am really not comfortable with suggesting that to producers that they should reduce their nitrogen rates by 50 pounds of nitrogen per acre when seeding late. You can see here how even a small variation in the position of the data points from the late seeded canola could have made a difference in the response curve. It could have become more curvilinear and narrowed the difference between the most economic rates for the early and the late seeded canola. We need more data points to really be comfortable with the response curves and to have more confidence in our interpretation. However, 
Without putting a value on it, I am comfortable saying the late seeded canola required less nitrogen. A combination of reduced yield potential from seeding late and more time for nitrogen mineralization in spring before seeding may account for the lower nitrogen requirement. Would have been nice if we had quantified this with early and late soil sampling, but oh well, maybe next time. In this study we looked at the percent oil within the canola grain. These values are based on single samples bulked over four reps for each treatment. Thus the values aren't statistically analyzed. However, there is some evidence to suggest that late seeding or high rates of nitrogen reduce the oil yield of canola. Reducing yield potential by late seeding or applying nitrogen likely favored the production of grain protein over oil. Conclusions Late seeded canola likely requires less nitrogen, but determining how much from this study would have required some more data points. However, I have seen some suggestions from the Canola Council that reducing rates by 10 to 15 percent might be appropriate when seeding into early June. That sounds pretty reasonable to me. Increasing canola emergence from 39.8 to 70.5 plants per meter squared did not increase yield, as expected, but it did hasten maturity by a couple days for the late seeded canola. This effect might have been even larger in an extended wet season. And then as a point of curiosity, delaying seeding rate and increasing nitrogen rate decreased oil content of the grain. But this isn't currently a concern for producers to manage at present. That's Mike Hall. He is the research coordinator for the East Central Research Foundation and Suncrest College based in Yorkton. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down for the most part this hour. January canola trading at 660.90, down $2.40. March canola trading at 668.80, down $2 per metric ton. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 710 and three quarters, down 18 and three quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at 6.30 and a quarter, down 26 and a half cents. March Chicago wheat, trading at 6.03 and a quarter, down 22 and a quarter cents. March oats, trading at, uh, March corn that is, trading at 4.79 and a quarter, down 6 cents. January soybeans, trading at 13.05 per bushel, down 18 and three quarters of a cent. March oats, trading at 3.40 and a half, down three and a quarter cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. Saskag today will return right after this. Farm Bulletin Board. The food banks of Saskatchewan got off to a great start on its feeding holiday cheer campaign. Executive Director Michael Kincaid says they received a $250,000 donation from Nutrien in late November. Nutrien has been a great supporter of this campaign for a number of years now. And uh, this $250,000 donation will really help kick off the holiday campaign with our goal to reach $2 million over the holidays by January 1st. 
Nutrien has donated over $8.5 million to the food banks of Saskatchewan since 2010, and the company encourages others to give what they can to the campaign. As we all know, uh, it's been rising costs with cost of living and, and uh, gas and everything there. So we've seen over the last year, we've seen a 24% increase in, in uh, people needing to use the food banks across Saskatchewan. We have 36 food banks across Saskatchewan that feed approximately 35,000 people a month. So we're looking to raise $2 million, which is going to really help basically feed uh, those people over one month, for one month. And, and hopefully into the, into the new year a little bit. We, you know, of course, we, uh, we are able to stretch the dollar more, but that is our goal. It comes at an interesting time, as Kincaid notes, more people are using food banks across Saskatchewan. Because the average person who maybe had a little bit of disposable income and could maybe spare and donate a little bit, uh, now they're having to use that. And we're starting to see more and more people that weren't using food banks, that were walking the line. And now they, you know, now they have to use it. They just don't have enough to make ends meet. So... The the donations from corporate sponsors are very much appreciated because they're helping to make up uh, what we've lost in donations over the last uh, year or so. So, yeah, it's it's very important, and uh, every little bit helps. Donations of any kind, whether it's a non-perishable food item or cash, can be made between now and the end of this month. Well, of course, cash lets us or enables us to buy uh, and purchase the stuff that we don't normally get. But, of course, we will take anything. And you can donate to your local food bank. Like I said, there's 36 food banks across the province, and they are more willing to take whatever you can And Kincaid explains another way to donate. Well, the easiest way to donate is to go to our website, uh, which is skfoodbanks.ca right on the front page there's a holiday feeding holiday cheer campaign donate now button you can click on that button and it it walks you right through you can donate i think it has to be a minimum of three dollars but anywhere from three dollars and up and you can even choose to do a monthly donation you know if you can't afford a lot but maybe you can afford ten dollars a month over a year but anything after he says the donations help their day-to-day operations. It helps us purchase the much-needed food that we don't normally get donated, like fresh produce, uh, meats, protein. It just helps us balance a healthy diet for people. Michael Kincaid is the executive director of the Food Banks of Saskatchewan. Their campaign, called Feeding Holiday Cheer, kick-started with a $250,000 donation from Nutrien. And just a reminder, you can place a bid on grassland restoration with the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Foundation if you're interested in seeding cultivated land back to native prairie. You can place a bid in their reserve auction for an opportunity to receive financial compensation for your restoration project. However, bidding closes January 31st, You can contact them to learn more information about the reverse auction process and how to place a bid. Simply go to www.ssgf.ca, 
Email them at communications at ssgf.ca or call them at 306-530-1385. And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly sunny, winds south-southwest at 20 to 35, and a high of plus 5. For tonight, mainly clear, winds southwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 2. For tomorrow, mainly sunny, winds northwest at 10 to 20, a high of plus 4, an overnight low of minus 5. For Friday, partly sunny with a 20% chance of flurries, a light wind, and a high of plus 1. For Saturday, mainly sunny, a high of plus 4. Sunday, mainly sunny, a high of minus 2. In the Paw, it's minus 1 degree, Swan River plus 2, Dauphin plus 4, Brandon minus 3, Show Lake Russell minus 5, Roblin minus 2. Regina is at plus 2, Saskatoon, Broadview, Mooseman plus 1, Hudson Bay minus 1, Indian Head 0, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington plus 4. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a south-southwest wind at 26, gusting to 39 kilometers an hour. 64% is the relative humidity. The temperature is plus 3 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 1215 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. CJGX Yorkton, a Harvard Media radio station serving Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We are GX94.